Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic, cult, and current films and the people that made them and many other aspects of pop culture. I'm your host, Steve Rubin, our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and our signature theme was composed by Greg Lerhoff. Here it's always Saturday night, and our mission is to chronicle film and pop cultural history one memory at a time. We are honored tonight to have with us a true comedy force, an actor, comedian, and voiceover artist who has co-starred or starred in such features as Grease, Grease 2, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Surf 2, War Games 1941, and many others, Mr. Eddie Deason. Welcome, Eddie. Thank you, Steve. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a true honor. Um, you know, I'm a comedy writer myself. I'm partnered with Billy okay. Reback, and we write scripts. We're out there trying to sell every day. It's a tough marketplace. I'm curious, since you have been following comedy since you were a kid, what is mm -hmm. your, what are your thoughts about the fact that movie comedies have somewhat disappeared from the box office and that mostly movies are big action movies or depressing end-of-the-year dramas? That's interesting. I, I, I never noticed that. Uh, you may be right. I, I never noticed that. I, I noticed they're not my favorites anymore. On my all-time favorite list, they're all old comedies. I'm, I'm pretty much a reactionary. But I guess that might be true with dramas, too. I just I like the old films much better than the new. I think the film was made for a couple million. For instance, we did Greece. You know what the budget of Greece was? Six what? million dollars. How much? You know, this beautiful How much? classic. Six How million. Much? Six million. Six million bucks. Six million bucks. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah, so it's it's made like what four hundred million. You know, with a great investment. I just like I like the old films much better. Money has absolutely nothing to do with making a good film. Uh, I don't like the current comedians as much. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, my my favorites again. My my favorites are all reactionaries. I love Chaplin. I love Buster Keaton, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, Laurel and Hardy, the Three Stooges. All my favorites are the old, you know, the old guys. Not that the new comedians aren't great. They're just uh, I prefer the old ones myself. Now you were you grew up in Cumberland, Maryland. What was yeah. what was it like in your family in terms of movie going? Was that a big thing in your family, or was it just you? Pretty much average, you know. I remember. This what happened, Stevie. Yeah, I hear you. Keep going. Okay. Uh, pretty much it was average, Steve. But we, I remember, you know, memories like everybody else. It was not unusual. Is that we, you know, we saw the Dirty Dozen, Paint Your Wagon. I remember seeing Cat Blue. They shoot horses, don't they? Uh, Goldfinger, uh, Hard Day's Night. I love. We saw Cinderella. Um, yeah, we, it was pretty average. And, uh, I remember the hard day's night in help going to see the Beatles. Film. the only two films that was unique and I'm probably not unique in this myself, but it was unique experiences. And there was screaming all the way through where we were a little town, Cumberland, Maryland, you know, 20,000 or whatever, little Mayberry type town, but the Beatles films, they screamed from beginning to end. When we saw hard day's night in help, we were screaming all the way through. And I never forget that experience. Did you, did you scream with them or were you annoyed? No. No, that was a girl thing. I think Screaming for the Beatles was a girl thing. We <laughs> thought they were cool. You know, we, I thought John Lennon was the coolest guy in the world. The Beatles, you know, I, I remember seeing him on Ed Sullivan, but it was the girl screaming. Got it, got it. So you um, you went, you started out doing some stand-up comedy and you didn't really like it after a while. You decided to become an actor. What What compelled you to move toward acting? I always had a goal to be in the movies. When I left home, I wanted to be in the movies. 
I, um, I was in Cumberland and I couldn't really do anything, Steve. I literally, they go, why did you become a comedian? I couldn't do anything else. I, I worked at my dad's store for a little, my dad had a jewelry store, raised jewelers. And I went to sleep in the display window and dad bawled me out. He was really furious. So he fired me from there. And dad offered to buy me a Dairy Queen to run, but I didn't want to run a Dairy Queen. So he said, I tell you what, go to Hollywood, give it a shot. And dad sent me $400 a month for like a, a year and a half. And in those days, it's 1975, 76, that kept me going. It paid my rent, it bought me food. So I owe my dad, you know, a lot. I had a wonderful father and he helped me get into the business. Did you find any mentors in Los Angeles? Uh, not particularly, as far as, what do you mean? Like, were there, was there anybody helping you in LA? Because there's a, a million actors come to LA every year and it's a very difficult yeah. business, as we know. Did anybody help you? I had a crummy agent. She, I guess she was somehow a franchise agent, but she got me into Greece. Her name was Regina. I won't, I won't give her last name because she might still be out there, but her name was Regina. She was a pretty bad agent. She wasn't that nice of a lady, but she did get me the Greece cattle call. I went into Greece and it was a cattle call. She got me that. So I do owe her that. She got me Greece. And uh, yeah, it was a big cattle call. I went in, you know, I, I put on a little PB Herman suit. You know, this was long before PB Herman. I put on a little ice cream suit with a bow tie and I slicked down my hair like Fonzie. I didn't know like nerds don't have slicked down hair, but I put greasy kid stuff in my hair, like Vitalis stuff. I remember greasing it up. I went in for the audition, you know, Mr. Carr was there, Alan Carr, the producer, Joel Thurm, the casting director was there, who, who has a wonderful book out right now. I want to plug Joel's book. It's a great read. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Randall Kleiser, our director was there. It was three of them. So I went in, you know, Eugene's a fairly small role. I had like four lines, two or three lines. I read my lines and I noticed while I was reading, they were nudging each other. They kept nudging each other with their elbow. And I could see that out of the corner of my eye. And I thought I was doing good. Anyway, I get back about a day later. My agent says, guess what? You got the role. You're in Greece. You're in a movie with John Travolta. So I went through the roof, Steve. You know, I was so happy. I called my parents, I, my brother and sister. I told everybody, I'm going to be in a movie with John Travolta. It's called Greece. Anyway, this is a very religious story. If, if you're a believer, it's a, it's a religious story. If you're a non-believer, you just say, I got a lucky coincidence. I don't break. But anyway, I got the role. Anyway, a couple of days later, my agent called me. She goes, bad news. Paramount called me. They said, they're going to get rid of Eugene. You're not needed in the movie anymore. We don't need Eddie anymore. So he's not going to be in the movie. So, of course, you know, I, I wanted to kill myself. I felt so horrible. I told everybody I'm going to be in the movie. I thought I'm going to get my career started. It was so exciting. She goes, we're going to go to church and we're going to light candles. What? I'm Jewish. I never done that in my life. She goes, come on. She picked me up. We went to a church called Our Mother of Good Council Church. It's, it's still there on Vermont. It's off Hollywood and Vermont. We went to our mother of good council church. We lit candles together at the altar. And we both prayed. I swear to God, Steve, about a day or two later, Paramount called back. They said, Eddie's back in the film. We're putting Eugene back in the film. Wow. So it, it's that, a great that... religious story. Yeah, it's a great religious story if you believe in God. If, you know, somebody answered our prayers. Or it was just coincidental if you're a non-believer. Take it however you want, but it's the 100% true story. I think a lot of people are going to light candles in that church. Yeah, really. You know what I always say about prayer, you know, either atheist, agnostic, or non-believer. Prayer can't hurt, so go ahead. I mean, there's no way it can hurt. You know, if there's nobody there, you're praying. Maybe it gives you some kind of inner strength. If there is God, if God or he or she or whatever is out there, it'll help. You know, he'll hear you or she will help you. So go ahead and do it. It's like chicken soup. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely right. You're one of us, obviously. (laughs) Exactly. For the Jews, chicken soup is, yeah, the shalom. I was I was just telling the guy on Facebook today, Steve, how you can't get good locks and bagels out here with onion bagels. I miss it so much because L.A., they're all over. You know, the delis are all over. Delis out here, you don't get anything in the way of locks and bagels and cream cheese. Well, I'm, I hope you can get back to California soon because you can't go too far yeah. from the bagels. So tell us about. Yeah, uh, Stevie and I are dying to get back there. 
Tell us about the making of Greece. Uh, you uh, you didn't have a lot of dialogue, but you were probably on that set for a right. while. Yeah, I was on the set for almost two months. Uh, it was exciting. I'm going to Paramount Studios the first day. You see, look at the back of the album. If you see the album cover, that was the first day. Greece. You'll see all of us. They were their arms up in the air, you know, with the big wide smiles. That was our very first day. That picture was taken. Um, John Travolta was the biggest mensch in the world. He was a totally kind, good, decent man. He was always friendly to me. He called me buddy. I had the scene, you know, Steve, my first scene where I walked down the stairs and the T-Birds mess up my hair. After every take, John, would we go, you all right, buddy? You okay, buddy? And then he'd do another take, take two. John, you okay, buddy? You all right, buddy? Take three. All right, you okay, buddy? And he made sure I was always okay. Anyway, another memory. I was on the set. Uh, we were doing the carnival scene. It was like this huge football field. The carnival scene was this gigantic field. Hundreds and hundreds of people, dancers, extras, you know, the cast, the crew, reporters were all out there. They're all surrounding John. John was the biggest star in the world. Cheerleaders were all around John. I came on the set licking an ice cream cone. I'm coming on the set. I'm a total nobody. Nobody knew who I was. It was my first movie. John Travolta sees me. He spotted me somehow. So he jogs around these hundreds of people. He comes over to me. He shakes my hand. How are you, buddy? And I never forgot his kindness. He spotted me in that crowd somehow. Somehow he had ESP, I don't know how, but he spotted me and came over and made me feel comfortable. He was a really, really kind man, um, a really mensch. He was just a total mensch. Olivia was a doll. I love her and I miss her. Uh, I only talked to Olivia once. Olivia and I were on the set. We were off the set. We were wandering around. It was like lunch break. And we were just wandering around with a couple friends. We hijacked the car, Steve. There was like, there was, I think there was a red convertible. We all got in the four of us got it. We just, I'd had keys in it or something. Maybe the guy's car, I don't know, or maybe it was a friend of his car, but I thought we hijacked it. But we took him, we joyrided around Paramount Theaters. We were joyriding around. Then we stopped the car. Olivia turns to me. She was in the passenger seat in the front seat. I was in the passenger seat in the back seat. She turns to me. She goes, you're funny. And I said, thank you. That was the only time I talked to Olivia. <laughs> anyway, cut to 2017. We're in Las Vegas. Mom and I are in Las Vegas and we saw Olivia's show. So in the middle of the show, she goes, I want to bring an old friend up on stage. So I go up, she called me up, she beckoned me. I go up on stage. The audience goes crazy. You know, I hugged her. I go, you're still as beautiful as ever. And we hugged. And then she took mom and I to her dressing room after the show. We talked, chatted, and caught up. And um, I was terribly sad. I was in the hospital when she, she passed on. She was an angel. We all loved Olivia. She, she's very, very much missed. Absolutely. Um, have you seen John Travolta since? I saw him one time, Steve, since the making of Reese. That's all. This was about 2001. We both had the same doctor. And I, it was no big deal. I was at the doctor, and he was in a car, and I was walking, and he spun the car to a stop. And we kibitz for a minute, you know. I shook hands. Um, yeah, I'll tell you something personal. This, I just remember this really did happen. I don't know if this is too personal to say, but I'll say it. You can edit it or leave it in. But I really did say this. It's just, it was a sweet moment. I said, you know, John, you bring something beautiful into the world. And he said, so do you. And we said that to each other. He, he was that kind of a guy. You could be very, you know, you could tell your innermost thoughts. I mean, he was really a cool guy, but that really didn't happen. That's the last time I saw John. I definitely am going to leave that in. That was very nice, Eddie. So you finished Greece. Okay. You've got chips on the table. What was your next move? Uh, I did laser. No, let's see. Greece was my first. Okay, here's what it was, Steve. Greece was released first. It's, it's a mixed up where my first year mixed up. Greece was my first film to be released. No, Greece was the first film I did. That's true. Then I did one called Laser Blast. Then I did I Want to Hold Your Hand. But Laser Blast was the first one to be released. Then I Want to Hold Your Hand. Greece was my third to be released. So it gets confusing. But I did do Greece. Then I did one called Laser Blast. It was a low budget sci fi film. 
Um, I worked three days on it, I remember. I had a crush on the script girl. Her name was Betty Goldberg. She was a really pretty girl. So, Betty, if you hear this out there, I had a crush on you. <laughs> the lead guy was named <laughs> Kim Milford. He was a very, very nice guy. Unfortunately, he was one of the first victims of AIDS. He was an early AIDS victim. I've had lots of my friends actors who died of AIDS, unfortunately, over the years. You know, Craterface from Greece, Dennis C. Stort, passed away from AIDS, too, and he was a, a really sweet guy. And uh, yeah, Laser Blast was low budget. And uh, the, there's a Mystery Science Theater. They did a version of Laser Blast. It's, it's actually much funnier. It's better than the movie. So I suggest see the Mystery Science Theater version of it. It's great. It might be on YouTube or something, but they did a satire of it. And it's, it's very, very funny. So you did I Want to Hold Your Hand. So for a Beatles fan, that must have been a real pleasure. Yeah, I played myself, basically. That was the film, uh, the most auditions I ever had. I was auditioned, Steve, nine times for that film. They called me back nine times. So I auditioned nine times. Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis co-wrote it. They told me later, they said, Bob Gale laughed so hard he was actually crying, he said, at my auditions. We just hit it off immediately. Bob Gale to this day is my favorite director. He's the finest director I've ever worked with. That includes Steven Spielberg, who is fantastic. Steven is so great. Obviously, it doesn't take me to say that. That's like saying, you know, Marilyn Monroe was beautiful, you know, but Stephen was wonderful. But Bob is my favorite director. He just knew how to handle me better. And I thought he had a better ear for comedy. Stephen's comedy is not necessarily, Stephen will have comedy within his moves, will have funny moments. But as far as directing a comedy, Stephen doesn't really do that. He does, you know, more gut-wrenching films, more big, spectacular films than that. Well, but anyway, have... uh, I hit it off good. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say they must have been pretty close friends because when it comes time to make 1941, a lot of the cast mm -hmm. from I Want to Hold Your Hand ends up in 1941. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, it was 1941. Then uh, Stephen took over. Working for Stephen was a joy. He was such a nice guy. Uh, this is my 1941, my best story. I was on the Ferris wheel. You know, I spent the whole film in the Ferris wheel with one Murray Hamilton, who was the sweetest guy in the world, and my ventriloquist dummy. So anyway, the let's, scene where the, the Eddie, players for rolls Eddie, off. Eddie, let's, yeah. ba let's yes, back up a little bit. Let's talk about how you got the sure. part in the first place. As far as uh, 1941? Yeah. Well, I think that was just because they knew me from I Want to Hold Your Hand. It is like, you know, you know, directors will get it stock actors they like, and they'll, they'll have them over and over. You know, you see that with all the great directors and they'll hire the, and I think they just had me. And unfortunately, both films tanked. They didn't do, I want to hold your hand, didn't do good at the box office. 1941, I think it marginally made money, but it was disappointing. So they kind yeah. of dropped me from there. And, you know, who knows if they both been big hits, they might've stuck with me, but you know, that you kind of stick with actors because you don't really have to worry about it in the second time. You know, I know what this guy can do. You're, you're familiar with him, so you don't have to gamble so much. So, so, so I kind of had that one in the bag already. It wasn't an intense uh, audition process for 1941. No, you were not at all. I, I don't remember auditing. I, I don't remember uh, auditioning for 1941. I don't Got think it. I did. I think they just go, Eddie, will you be in this film? And, you know, will I be in a film with Steven Spielberg? You think, you know, geez. So you get you you get the part of the uh, yes. the observer on the Ferris wheel with Murray Hamilton, right, right. Tell us about that. Murray was the sweetest guy in the world. He was a big time smoker. He smoked three or four packs a day. So Stephen would have to. We you know we were up in the Ferris wheel. This was a real Ferris wheel, a huge Ferris wheel. Stephen had bought. He'd take us down periodically, and Murray would have to take oxygen. We had oxygen tanks there, and he would go, <laughs> and he'd have to suck in oxygen. You know, he, he literally couldn't breathe up there. He had to come down and keep getting oxygen. He was a great guy. He was fun to talk to. Anyway, I was getting into my story. I'll get back to it. We were in the Ferris wheel, and the film, film, the part where the of the film where the Ferris wheel rolls off the pier. Stephen was whipping us around. That Ferris wheel, he was spinning us, you know, at top speed. We were going, and I have bad motion sickness. 
So I got really nauseous that I asked him to stop. Stephen stopped the Ferris wheel. I, I, you know, I went wobbled over to him. I goes, I'm sick. He goes, go lay in my dressing room. So Stephen's secretary took me to his dressing room. I lay down in the cot in his dressing room. I started to feel real nauseous. I crawled on my hands and knees like a dog. I went into Stephen's bathroom and I threw up. And then the significance of I go, I just threw up in Steven Spielberg's toilet. And I realized this is one of the highlights of my life. So that's still one of my favorite <laughs> moments in my whole movie career. I got to throw up in Steven Spielberg's toilet. I'll tell you, Steve, to backtrack one minute, to backtrack one second, to get back to Greece for one second. This is my other throw up story. This is my last day on Greece was August 2nd, 1977, the day I wrapped on Greece. We, we, we were doing the carnival scene, you know, and again, I had this bad motion sickness. Mr. Carr and Mr. Thurm and now Randall, our director, they go, Eddie, will you get on this twirly ride? It's the ride that they strap you and you're standing up, you know, and they, it's just like a circle and they spin you around and around. I said, I can't do that. I get bad motion sickness. I'll get sick. They said, just come on, do it. We just need it real quick. I, Please don't. And, you know, we went back and forth. I go, you know, I have to do this. My first one, what am I going to do? You know? So they put me in there, they strapped me in, they spun us around. Anyway, I got motion sick again. I got off. I wheeled down the field. I wobbled down the field. Out alone in the field, I threw up again. That was my last day on Greece. I threw up alone in the field. That was my last day of filming on Greece. <laughs> the uh, Ferris so there's wheel. There's my big the throw-up story. The Ferris wheel on 1941, I assume, yeah. that in addition to being on a real Ferris wheel, did they also do something in the studio as well? Yes, we did. Uh, the water scenes were fake. You know, we're in the water and the, I pop, the dummy pops up out of the water and, I pop, and Murray strangles me, you know, I, let's do it again. Ah, and he strangles me. That was we were just in a tank. It was like a little pool. It was like a little circular pool, about 20 feet circular. It was a very small pool. And all the Frank McRae was there. Anyway, I had on a real heavy suit. If you look at me in that, Steve, I wear a really heavy, uh, you know, tweed suit. And I, we were in the water and I, I, you know, I weighed about 120 and that suit was big. It was weighing me down. I was going underwater. I was drowning. Frank McRae grabbed me and pulled me up. He kind of saved my life from drowning, but he was that wonderful guy. You know, Frank McRae unfortunately passed on a few years ago, but he saved my life. He held me up in that scene and Murray gets to strangle me. And that tank was on the universal lot. That was on the universal set. Yes. Right. Right. So when they shoot you, on the Ferris wheel, sitting next to Murray, are they always mm -hmm. shooting you on a real Ferris wheel, or sometimes are you on a studio? Uh, yeah. Ferris wheel? No, that was a real Ferris wheel. The long shots were away. The close shots, they had a huge ladder, and they just do a straight. You know, the close ups, me and Murray, they had a ladder, and the guy would sit on the ladder and photograph us. But that we were all on the Ferris wheel all the way. Yeah. And was Spiel was Steve? I mean, I'm, I'm a you know when you're I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say, Stephen, obviously, was was he using a megaphone or could he could he, you hear him easily? Um, you know, I don't remember that. I don't remember. I think we could just hear him. I remember Kibitzen with him up there. And so I think we could just hear him. You know, it, it, you know, you, you could hear him. It's like yelling to, you know, we were up 30 feet in the air or whatever. And you just go, hey, Steve, we're good. Uh, you know, I don't think he needed a megaphone. It's such a funny scene, Eddie. I, 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 I've watched. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've watched that movie a hundred times. and. And just the look on Murray's face when you drop the, uh, I think you drop a, a, a watermelon down or something. The grapefruit, yeah. Grapefruit. <laughs> and then you had the little dummy that looked just like you. Yeah. he. I always get asked where he went, Steve, what became of him. I had heard he got uh, raffled off. And the rich woman won him for $50. Or I heard it's either that or he was auctioned off and she bid $50. But I heard some rich lady got him for $50. Yeah. 
either a $50 raffle ticket or she bid $50 at an auction. The stories change. How many days do you remember how many days you were on the Ferris wheel? That's a great one. I would guess maybe about three weeks, three or four weeks, I guess. Wow. Yeah, maybe. I may be overestimated. I, I don't remember specifically. Greece, I remember specifically. As small as my role was in Greece, I worked for, you know, almost two months just because they wanted everybody there. You know, we we're all these, you know, the dance scene took forever and the carnival stuff took forever. So they needed us all there. So Greece was a long shoot for me, even though on, on camera, I'm not on camera that much. I have basically two scenes, but you'll see me jumping around in the dance scene. And, you know, you'll see me jumping around in the carnival stuff. I get the pie in the face and all that. Right, right, right. On 1941, uh, obviously all of your scenes are with Murray. Uh, did you get the chance to meet anybody else on that show? Oh, yeah. John Belushi was a delight. I love John. Um, let me think about how John. I remember how, I remember the last moment with John. Oh, I met John. I think he was there. We had the one whole hand premiere in New York. Lorraine Newman was there. I met her. And I remember Gilda Radner. I didn't speak to her. She came, She just turned around. I, I said hi. And she turned around and gave me this big, huge smile. It was the most the warmest smile I ever got. I never talked to her, but she was an angel. I just saw this angelic smile. And then she left. John and I met at that party, I remember. Dick Cabot was there. It was real cool. We stayed. This is really cool if you're a Beatles fan. They put us up, Steve, in the Plaza Hotel. We did the promotional tour and the premiere. We, they put us in the Plaza Hotel in the Beatles suite. So we got to actually live there, you know, stay there. And it was really cool. But John, um, how did I meet John? I remember the last time I met him, but the last time I saw him. How did I meet John? Oh, Yeah. This is the story for 1941. Let me give you a 41 story. This is how I knew John. I'm filming 1941, and it was lunchtime one day on the shoot, okay? Stephen comes up, and he goes, Eddie, you want to have lunch with us? You know, sure, I'll have lunch with Steven Spielberg. What the heck? So I get into lunch, Steve. It's Steven Spielberg, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and me, the four of us. We're in this restaurant. It was, I think it was the studio commissary it was. I, I'm there. You know, I'm like Ralph Cramden. Hamana, hamana, hamana. I didn't say a word the whole time. Those three are kibitzing and chatting, you know, and I remember Stephen wanted stew. I remember him asking, wait, do you have any kind of stew? And I remember a fan came over and he said, I drew this picture of him, Mr. Spielberg. And he gave Stephen a sketch of himself. Anyway, we finished lunch. And I, I realized I didn't have any money. So I go, oh, my God, I don't have any money. I'm going to look so bad. Luckily, Stephen picked up the tab. So uh, that's how I met John. I think that was the first time I actually met John. Anyway, the last time I met John, I, I was coming from an audition. And I happened to just bump into John. I don't remember where it was. It seems to be out in the field or something. But I just happened to see him. And it was John Belushi. And he goes, hey, how are you? And I, he goes, what's the matter? I go, oh, I was real bummed out because I'd been treated bad at an audition. I go, I went to an audition. And these people didn't like me. And John goes, they're assholes. And then he walked off. That was the last time I saw John. And then he died, uh, yeah, right before my birthday. I was really sad because he, he was a wonderful, beautiful guy. He's nothing like the Wired film or the Wired book. He was really a, a sweet, nice guy. You know, such a legend and, and dearly missed yeah, for so family. many reasons. Um, do you remember going to the premiere of 1941? Yes, we had it at the Cinerama Dome. That's where I met Ron Howard. I remember he was very nice. Uh, it didn't go good. It was, it was quiet. I remember Dan Aykroyd was there. I, what I remember is Dan Aykroyd was the only one laughing. I remember the movie came on and it was pretty quiet. It weren't the laughs we expected. Dan Aykroyd laughed and it sounded like a hollow laugh in a haunted house. The, oh, he's breaking up, but he was the only one laughing. And I left, and I, I think I left early. I think I walked out on that one. I was so sad because I'd had such huge hopes for it. You know, you're in a Spielberg film, and I was hoping it would be good. Mrs. Spielberg said, I think Eddie killed himself, I remember she said. But no, I just walked out. And uh, it was just disappointing, I thought. Yeah, and, and uh, like I say, it did marginally make money. 
it's considered one of Steven's big bombs, but it did marginally make money. And what can you say? I got to work with Steven Spielberg. So that, that's a great experience. You know, and Dan, the, Dan you Ackerman know, was a really lovely guy. Dan Ackerman was great. He believed you know, in UFOs. He was really into UFOs. And I remember he was really into badges. He had a lot of badges and he showed me some badges. I got, I got a chance to work with him on Ghostbusters. I shot the behind the scenes. Isn't he sweet? Yeah. Very yeah. sweet, very sweet man. Um, but it's interesting very about 1941. Man. For the listeners who haven't seen 1941, I find it a very entertaining movie. It gets a little crazy at times. It's a little bit, um, uh, what do they say, a little misogynistic towards women. Uh, it's a little racist toward Japanese. Uh, but then again, it's I didn't see that. What was the misogynistic with the women? What happened? Well, you know, I think probably the sequence that, you know, the whole idea that, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy who's trying to make it with Nancy Allen. Um, Jim, Jim, was that Tim Matheson? Tim Matheson, his whole idea is he wants <laughs> to have sex with Nancy Allen and, and he ends up, it's these days that probably would think is a little bit misogynistic, but you know, I thought it was very funny and, and the technical things yeah. that are going on in that movie are amazing. And you got a chance to, yeah, well, Bob, Bobby DeSico, who was in, um, and I want to hold your hand gets to play one of the right. great characters in the dance sequence, which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah. And Wendy and Nancy, he had four of us back again. I think they, Stephen wanted to have like an ensemble, you know, again, if they had done better at the box office, he might've kept us in later films, but that was yeah. pretty much it ended our relationship then. Yeah. yeah but I, he, I was, he brought four of us back from, I want to hold your hand. I was waiting for 1942. When are we getting that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're still waiting. <laughs> Now you were you were getting such good roles that you had to turn down. There was a reference in IMDb that said you had to turn down meatballs. Yeah, I had. To, I was. Yeah, nineteen seventy nine. I did three films. So you know, nowadays I don't hardly work. I'm I'm getting old. I'm going to be sixty six in about ten days. But in those days, I was really high commodity. I did three films that year. I did nineteen forty one. I did Midnight Madness and one other one, but I forget. But I did three films that year. And yeah, they wrote the word role was sad for me. Some other guy got it, and he was good. But they wrote Spaz for me, Meatballs. I miss getting to work with Bill Murray, which I would have loved. And Meatballs is a pretty good film. As far as Bill Murray, that's one of his best films. Sure, sure. Now you have a yeah, small yeah. you have a you have a small part in war games, but a good part. Yeah, it's a good part. My director, by the way, was Marty Bress, who later did Beverly Hills Cop the next year. Marty did my scene with uh, Murray Hamilton and I uh, Murray Hamilton with um what's the guy's name? Murray Chaikin. Murray Chaikin. Murray Chaikin. Yeah. Marty Bress was our director. He worked, he did directed 12 scenes and our scene with my one scene was one of those 12. They, the studio fired uh, Marty. They didn't like his dailies they saw. So they hired John Badham. I would just ask on Facebook. They say, what was it like working with John Badham? This day, people think I work with John Badham, but I never did. I worked with Marty. But anyway, John Badham liked my scene. It was the only scene of Marty's that he kept in the movie. So I left out there. It's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we have a common connection because my first movie I produced was a baseball comedy called uh, Bleacher Bums. And we, we hired Murray. I, I think, wasn't that a play? Was that a play? Yeah. Yeah. It was a play written by you Joe. You did the movie of that play? Yeah, we did the movie of that play at Showtime in 2001. We hired Murray Chaikin and Charles Durning to play these two guys who work inside the scoreboard at Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. and and uh, got to know Murray. Uh, it was it was great. And of course, I remember him from so many, so many pictures. Uh, if the listeners don't right. know the name that he's he's been in so many films in war games, 
he plays a computer expert where Matthew Broderick yeah. goes to him and Eddie to learn a little bit more about this video game company uh, or this video yeah. program they're suddenly playing. Um, but right. um, Murray, I remember vividly Murray was in Dances with Wolves. He played that very strange commanding officer that sends uh, Kevin Costner's character on his mission to that fort, which has been deserted. Mm -hmm. And then, then of course, uh, something bad happens to him. Um, did you, right. did, you did you like working with Murray? Oh, he was wonderful. Great guy. He, the Mr. Potato headline, no, he made that up. I went in the set and we were kibitzing before we started this scene. That, and I was taking it kind of lax. I was kind of a big shot. Oh, this is just another film, big deal. He goes, what's important to me, I remember he took it very seriously. And he goes, look, I'm going to call you Mr. Potato Head in the scene. And I go, that's great. That's a great bit. And he, he had lived that. Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head, that was Maury's thing, you know. <laughs> in that film, by the way, the, the significance of that is I was the first computer nerd in that movie. That was the very first computer nerd in movies or television. You know, it, yeah, that was just a, a thing I was. I'll tell you the best story about that, Steve. President Ronald Reagan saw that movie. Do you know that story? He saw war games and he literally changed the security system of the United States based on that film. He thought it wasn't safe for America. So he changed our security system after watching war games in the White House. That's a true story. That is very interesting. And of course, Ronald Reagan. I know, Reagan isn't is, that bizarre? Yeah, Ronald Reagan also embraced the. Um, the Star Wars missile defense system idea, which from what yeah, I gather, maybe that was war game. Who knows? from what I gather from my research is that the whole idea of Star Wars or strategic defense initiative was created by a couple of Hollywood writers. Is that right? Yeah, they actually came up with the think. idea and sold it to the U.S. government, which essentially ended the Cold War. It's a it's a crazy story. Um, but um, that's great. Now you actually, uh, you've been uh, being uh, featured against a lot of actors. You've been co-starring in Surf 2. You are actually mm -hmm. one of the stars or these stars. You play yeah. a mad scientist named yeah. Menlo, Sch uh, Menlo Schwarzer. Schwarzer. Schwarzer, yes, with Linda Carriage. I don't know, whatever became of Linda, she was lovely, my leading lady. That was a fun film. I loved working on that film. I worked with uh, Ron Polio, Horshack. He was a great guy. I worked with three of the Sweat Hawks from Welcome Back, Cloud. I worked with John in Greece, Ron Polio, and one other, I, I forget, what did I work? Oh, yeah, uh, Robert Hedges directed me in some low-budget thing, I remember. Yeah, and I, and I met the other guy, the, uh, the African-American guy, Washington. Yeah, what's his name? I think in the show. It was uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington. Yeah, I worked with all four of the Sweathawks from Welcome Back, Cotter. But Ron was a great guy. We were really good friends. He was a great guy. Carol, no, that was, uh, yeah, Carol Wayne was in that. It's got to be one of Carol Wayne's. It might have been her last film. Interesting, interesting. Now, yeah, all she was lovely. She was so nice. Now, <laughs> uh, the same year you made War Games, you made a movie mm -hmm. called A Polish Vampire in Burbank. What is okay, that? We're going to edit this part out. We're going to edit this part out, Steve. No. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you want to We talked, Stevie and I were just, my manager, Steve, who's a great guy. We were talking to Stan Livingston of My Three Sons, you know, the great actor. He likes that movie. He, for some reason, he actually likes that film. He's the only person I've ever met who actually likes that movie. I think it's probably the worst thing I've ever done. I don't even want to think about it, but it was for a director named Mark Perot. He's a Facebook friend. He's not a bad guy. It just, it, I don't, I don't like anything about that movie. Maybe I have oh, to watch it again. I don't know. I know him. Yeah. I know him. I know, yeah, Mark I know Mike Perot. Mark Perot. I've known him for years. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is, is he still uh, directing? He, he, occasionally. He occasionally. Uh, okay. He's uh, he's a character. He makes no budget movies. You know, he makes movies yeah, on, exactly. on the cost of doilies on a regular movie. Exactly. I don't know how he does. He's been doing it for ages. He's made like 40 or 50 films. And, you know, the but you're right. The combined budget is like five thousand dollars or something. Yeah. He uh, I went to a screening of Rectuma and Rectuma was the story of a giant asshole that's terrorizing the countryside. So it gives you're you are kidding, right? <laughs> I wish oh my I was. god <laughs> oh my god well you know you know in the woody allen movie everything you always wanted to know about sex they had a, a giant breast so uh, yeah you're right obviously he was spoofing that now you yeah start, you god start... knows what the next one will be let's not get into even thinking what the next one will be no no exactly exactly i i i remember my childhood enjoying giant movies obviously we all love king kong but i I remember going yeah. to the theater about eight years old and seeing Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which uh, yeah. which was funny. And it's funny because I made my producing debut for Showtime after meeting Joe Mantegna, one of the writers of the play, on a set. And the set he was on mm -hmm. was called Attack of the Five-Foot-Two Women. And it was mm -hmm. a story of the lady who cut off uh, that man's penis, Lorraine Babbitt. Oh, Lorraine Babbitt? Lorena Bobbitt, yeah. and she. They also did a right. story about the lady who uh, punched uh, that ice skater in the knee with a hammer. Mm -hmm. So uh, that 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 was kind of a funny situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but the uh, the uh, attack of the five foot two women. Oh, Tanya, was oh, is that, oh, Tanya Harding. Yeah, Tanya I, Harding. I my Tanya Harding short. We did a, a signing show together. Okay, and she was like, this was right after the Nancy Kerrigan stuff. She was kind of like a villain, so she had no customers. She was all alone. And she was lonely. So we started talking together. I was walking around making out and we started kibbissing and chatting. We became real good friends. We started making out, Steve. I made, we were just sitting there making out right in the middle of the show. We made out for a very long time. She's a great kisser. Anyway, we finished. We both went back to our tables. Then she comes over and she gives me, gave me an autographed picture. And I accepted it. Thank you, man. Then she comes over. Then Tanya leaves and this big burly guy, this big gorilla comes up and he goes, hey, you got a picture for Tanya? You know, like one of these muscle, these knuckle breakers, you know, he, he's going to beat me up. But I go, oh, yes, sir. So I gave Tanya an autographed picture, but I, I made out with her. She's a great kisser. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So um, you have you have had a very nice career doing voiceover work. Yes. Voiceover is wonderful. Polar Express was kind. Polar Express is a combination. Polar Express is part movie, part voice. Polar Express basically was like a voiceover. I had cue cards through the whole thing. You know, Tom didn't object. So Bob Zemeckis got me cue cards. I think, Steve, I literally had Bob Hope's cue card holder. I might be wrong because he might have been dead. But I thought I heard I had Bob Hope's cue card holder. But I read all my roll-off cue cards in uh, Polar Express. So it was like doing a voiceover, even though we moved and made the movements on the set. Interesting, interesting. So what? Yeah. Um, and did you did you spend time on the set with Tom Hanks? Oh yeah, ten weeks. I was on that for ten weeks. I got to talk to Tom every morning. Every morning, I had I go Jesus. I can sit with Tom Hanks and kibitz. I could ask him anything in the world. So we talked about everything under the sun. How? So when this is just Tom Hanks. He comes up to me one day. He goes, Hey Eddie, Ginger or Marianne? I, and that, you know, he's asked me the question every guy in the world has been asked. He goes, Ginger or Marianne? He just asked me to have the clear blue sky. I go, well, you know, when I was a kid, I had a crush on Marianne. I loved her. But when I got to be older, I turned into a man. I like Ginger better. I go, how about you, Ginger or Marianne? And he goes, I'll give you the answer I always give. It depends on the episode. He would just 
do stuff like that. He was so off the, off the, you know, he'd just do these off kilter things, crazy stuff. Every day he got us lottery tickets, or I'm sorry, every week, every week he'd give everyone in the cast a lottery ticket. Just, you know, just for the hell of it, he'd do that. And he'd have us, I think it was Thursdays. Every Thursday he'd bring us a catered lunch from a deli. He'd bring us corned beef, pastrami, roast beef sandwiches, you know, and this is Tom Hanks. This is typical Tom Hanks story. He's given us all this deli food, you know, so we're noshing, you know, eating corned beef and potato salad and all our stuff and all. And I noticed everybody's eating, but Tom, Tom's just standing. So I go up to Peter Scalar. I go, why isn't Tom eating? He goes, don't you know? I go, what? He goes, Tom has a bad jaw. There was something wrong with his jaw. He couldn't chew the sandwiches. Now, he might have just heard it at that time. But in other words, Tom Hanks catered and bought everybody in the cast of crew stuff, but he couldn't eat it himself. But that's just typical. I'll tell you one other quick Tom Hanks story. This is, again, this is, I just want to personify what kind of a guy this guy was. I was talking to Tom on the set one day and I go, what was it like working with Jackie Gleason? You know, today's Jackie Gleason's birthday, by the way. I go, what was it like working with Jackie Gleason when you did nothing uncommon? What was he like? And he goes, oh, he was a pretty nice guy. You know, he was, uh, he gave me a lot and he was pretty, pretty cool guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, all good roads, good weather, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so again, I go over to Peter Scalari. I go, I was just talking to Tom about, uh, about Jackie Gleason. I said, was he, you know, and he was telling me what a great guy Jackie Gleason was. And then Peter goes, he goes, that's just like Tom. He goes, Jackie Gleason was a real asshole to him. He treated him real bad. He didn't respect them. He just was very unprofessional on the set. He really treated Tom bad. But he said, Tom won't say a bad word about anybody. So, you know, that's the quintessential Tom Hanks. That's the kind of guy he was. I have, I have dozens of other stories about it, but that's, I hope you get the idea what kind of guy this guy was. He's a wonderful guy. I interviewed him. Uh, He's a, did- one, yeah. I did a 20th anniversary uh, story for the LA Times on the making of Saving Private Ryan. And I called okay. Tom and Tom and I did it. He was just couldn't have been nicer on the phone. And yeah. at the end, you know, yeah. I have Tom, I've got Tom Hanks on the telephone. So I have an opportunity to ask him anything. So I said, right. Tom, at the end of uh, Castaway, you're standing on the crossroads You've met this gorgeous lady who obviously is the lady you gave that, uh, you know, you you protected that Federal Express package for the whole movie for. You're going to go back for her, right? And he, he smiled and said, well, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's him. Yeah, he's great a great guy. guy. Just a great guy. Yeah, he was. He was- my last story, I'll just give you, I mean, I have so many stories this guy, but on the last day of shooting, Steve, he goes, Eddie, I hear you're a baseball fan. I go, yeah. He goes, you want to come to a Dodger game with me? So, you know, you think to go to a Dodger game with Tom Hanks. So he said, you can bring a friend. So I went to three Dodger games with him. So anyway, the first game, I, I had a good friend at the time, Steve, his name was Tommy. And he had Lou Gehrig's disease. His body was atrophying, you know, it was getting gnarled and he could hardly stand up or he walked real quick. He, he was losing his motor controls and he couldn't balance himself. And when he talked, he would spit, you know, he would go high, but he would spit. He, he just couldn't control his body. But I wanted to treat him, you know, it was his last day, and I wanted to treat him again. So we took him to the Dodger game with Tom. And then we're there, we're getting into the box seats. Tommy and I arrive. And we're sitting there and go, oh, my God, did I make a mistake? I go, this could be a train wreck. He's going to, poor Tommy's going to look ridiculous in front of Tom Hanks. So I look down. Tommy's sitting there. Tom Hanks is sitting there talking. Tommy's, Mr. Hanks. You know, I'm not trying to ridicule, but, you know, he could hardly talk. Mr. Hanks, blah, blah, And he was saying it. And Tom is looking at him, nodding earnestly, listening to every word, asking him questions and listening, you know, like he's the most interested guy in the world. And then Tom signed a baseball for me. He made this day so special for Tommy. You know, that's the kind of guy Hanks is. Yeah, totally, totally true. Well, how were yeah. your seats? 
it, well, it was his box seats. We had sky boxes, you know, I guess they were sky boxes, but we were in his box seats. He had, you know, we didn't ask for hot dogs. He had like a buffet. There were like silver, silver hot dogs, silver French fries. You know, it was like a buffet and you'd open up a thing like a, a fancy buffet and you'd eat that way. Excuse me. I, my phone just went off. I just turned it off. Oh, sure. Um, that, that's sure. great. That's great. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> Well, we have been we've been listening to a wonderful conversation with Eddie Deason on Saturday night at the movies. Eddie, um, I, I, I know that a lot of fans would like to see you back in the movies. Do you have plans to get your career back on track? I hope so. Um, uh, I'll just get a little personal. I, I've had a lot of heart trouble. I had heart trouble. I had open heart surgery, Steve. I had in uh, 2020. I was born with a heart murmur. And one of my valves went bad. One of my heart valves went bad. And it was, it was literally leaking blood to my brain, if you can imagine that. I started feeling weird and strange. I don't know. There's a picture. I, I, I was looking at my old pictures on my old, on my old Facebook page. And there's a picture of me clutching a girl. It was at a signing show. And you can see I'm like holding on for my life. I was scared. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. But I would get like vertigo. I didn't know. And then finally they diagnosed your, your heart's going bad. So I was rushed into surgery. I got my heart surgery. Then, uh, Steve, I was put on all these meds. I, I had lived like a, a, an ad, all adult life with no meds, no drugs. I was like a Christian scientist. I don't believe in drugs. And they put me on like 20 meds a day. And that, you know, really wrecked havoc on me. It screwed up my mind and my body. And I started acting crazy, doing bizarre things. Then I had a stroke. And uh, it was a horrible time. I was in and out of hospitals. And uh, then my mom passed away. It was a horrible time. But my friend Steve, my manager, Steve Joyner, is, is a, the greatest guy in the world. Him and his wife took me in here. So I'm living here now in South Carolina now. And I'm recovering. You know, he's helped me. But, but to answer your question, Stevie and I do want to get back to L.A. We want to get me back in the movies. In the meantime, Stevie's trying, you know, we're doing cameo videos. Much we can do cameo videos. You can order them. And, you know, I'll say happy birthday, happy bar mitzvah. Stevie's getting me a few podcasts. I think this is, this is the third podcast he's got for me. And, um, yeah, stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, we hope to get back into Hollywood. I, I would love to do more movies, yes. Sure, sure. Well, I think we need you because I think the comedy world can always use a man of your talent because you have such a nice spirit and good, great comic timing and just uh, a, a nice, fun presence on screen. And I, I really appreciate you coming on my podcast today. We love you in Greece. We love you in 1941. We love you in War Games. and. I want to hold your hand and all the other things you've done have been fun. Um, I, I, I want to have you on again and I want to promote anything that you do. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure, Steve. It's been my honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful host and I look forward to hearing the show myself. Perfect. Uh, to everyone, I'm Steve Rubin, your host. Our producer's Ben Shrewsbury. We've been listening to Eddie Deason. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening. Hang on one second.